John 8. We're going to be going through John chapter 8, verse 30 through 59. And I know you don't believe me that we're going to get all the way through all that, but we're going to, okay? And we're going to do it pretty quick, all right? So uh, reach over your neighbor's and grab their seat belt and buckle it down because we're fixing to get through this pretty fast. But I want you to know that we started out, John 8, with the pericope, the, the woman caught in the act of adultery, right? We, we talked about that. And then last week, or not last week, two weeks ago when I preached, we talked about uh, in John 8 where the Pharisees were asking Jesus from from uh, verse 13 to verse 30, who are you? And I preached the whole message about who is Christ, amen? Who, was, who is he? That's the question. That's the question that comes out in the gospel. That's the question that Jesus asked his disciples. He said, whom do, the, whom do they say that the Son of Man is? Remember when he asked the disciples that when they went out praying for people? He said, well, some say that you're Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're uh, one of the other prophets. And then he asked him a question. He said, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him and he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said something very important in there. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven. And this is what we talked about when we talked about who is Christ. Now this week in the last half of John 8, we're answering the question, who is he? Amen. They ask the question, who art thou? Jesus answers the question and he answers it pretty emphatically. Matter of fact, he answers it so clearly that they want to stone him to death for the answer that he gives. Amen. So this week we are answering the question of the Jews, the Jerusalem Council, the Sanhedrin, the question that they asked in John 8.25, who art thou? That was the question in John 8.25. And that's pretty much the summary of last, the last sermon that I preached out of John was, who are you? And we're answering it, and I titled this week, I Am. Because this is the answer that Jesus gives them. I am. That's what he gives them. And we're going to get to it. So let's dive into the text. We're going to begin reading at John chapter 8 verse 30. And it says, As he spoke these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my words, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we have never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house ever, but the son abideth ever. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And I know that you are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. And they answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. 
Jesus saith unto them, If Abraham, if ye were children of Abraham, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that have told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then they said unto him, We, not, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would have loved me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do ye, un why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my words. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh, he speaketh, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. Which of you convinceth uh, me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth my words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? And Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keeps my sayings, he shall never die. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And thou sayest, if a man keepeth my saying, he shall never taste death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets, which are dead? Whom makest thou to be? Or excuse me, whom makest thyself? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father, my father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet, he hath, uh, yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar likened unto you. But I know him, and I keep his sayings. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham was, I am. Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now this is a lot of text, and I'm not any way am I going to be able to break down every single verse in deep detail. But we're going to start with uh, a, a group of verses right here at the beginning, then we're going to work our way very quickly through the next set of verses to the very end, okay? And I want to do this for a reason, because right now, today, there's a lot of people 
who like these Pharisees think they know who Jesus is, okay? And they, they say things like, well, I've got my own relationship with Christ and I'm, you know, I'm a child of God and I do this and I'm this and I'm that. The problem is that, that, that you're not a child of God just because you say you are. The problem is, it's not just I, I have faith and no fruit. You can say you have faith all you want, but if there is no fruit of eternal life in you, you are a liar and still in bondage to the devil. You are still in bondage to this world. You are still in bondage to your flesh. That's the reality of this story. We start out with a very poignant statement. It says, as he spoke these words, many believed on him. And then it says something else. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Now I want to get this very clear to you. There's the devil believes and trembles. That's what the Bible says. The devil believes and trembles. But it doesn't cause obedience. It doesn't cause worship. It doesn't cause... Why? Because he's not born again. Amen. And it's the same reason that these men, these Jews, can believe upon him. But that belief is not a saving faith. Why? Because faith without works is dead. What I mean by that? Faith that will not move you to obedience. Faith that will not move you to repentance. Faith that does not move you to the born again state. It's not saving faith. There's all kinds of people that say, oh, I believe Jesus lived. Oh, I believe that Jesus done some of these things that they say done, but they don't believe that Jesus came to save them. Matter of fact, most people, well, we, we, we say this all the time, and I've been guilty of saying this. Well, most people know they're sinners. Most people know they're sinners. You don't have to tell them they're sinners. That's wrong. Most people don't know they're sinners. Most people think the guy that hacked somebody up on TV, that guy's a sinner. Or that guy that, that raped three little kids, that guy's a sinner. Most people don't look at their self and say, oh, I'm a sinner. Most people look at their self and say, I'm a pretty good person. I don't do this and I don't do that. I'm not as bad as that guy over there. And that's exactly what these Pharisees have been doing to Jesus the whole book of John. That's what the rich young ruler did to Jesus. Jesus said, uh, when the rich young ruler came to him, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, well, you know the commandments. Uh, uh, do not steal, do not kill, do not commit adultery. And he said, well, I've kept all of them from my youth, so I must be a shoe in. What else do I got to do? He said, lackest thou one thing, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, then come and follow me. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. 
See, the problem is everybody wants the Jesus that'll meet them right where they are. They just don't want what comes after that. They don't want the Jesus that's requiring them to lay down their life. They don't want the Jesus that's requiring them to take up their cross. They don't want the Jesus that's requiring them to renounce everything and follow him. See, we want the nice part of Jesus. We don't want the rest of Jesus, okay? We've, we've made Jesus into something that he's not. Yes, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Yes, Jesus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Yes, that's true. But this same Jesus said, if you don't renounce all that you have and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That's Jesus' own words, not mine. Jesus looks at these men who believed on him and tells them that their father is the devil. He looks at them and says that you can't even hear my words because my word has no place in you. Beloved, when are we going to understand that this heart change, this born again experience is more than just checking off a list that I'm not going to hell. It's more than just saying, oh, I got my ticket, I'm on the train, I'm not going to hell. And I'm just going to sit down here, I don't have to do nothing, God doesn't require anything of me. That's not true. It's not true. Matter of fact, when you live like that, what it shows me, what it shows us in Scripture is that you, very, you may very well not even really know Christ. You may have some kind of belief in Christ, but it isn't saving faith in Christ. Because saving faith makes things different. Saving faith changes my priorities. Amen? These men weren't getting it. They're still stuck on being Abraham's seed. And they were Abraham's seed according to the flesh. But the Bible has something to say about that. And we're going to get to it. Number one. How can these people believe yet not really believe? <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But who? What did he say? But those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. So what's the will of God? John 6. Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me. That all who look to the Son and believe will have eternal life. What does that mean? You see, believing in Christ is not simply, I understand who he is. Believing in Christ isn't just saying, I in my heart believe that. The belief that Jesus requires is a belief that will not just say, just not say, excuse me, Belief in Christ is not just something that says, I believe in Christ, and that's it. Belief in Christ is belief that causes you to go and live for Christ. That's believing in Christ. Anything short of you living your life for Christ, 
you don't believe in him. Period. End of story. I don't want to hear all this made up carnal Christian nonsense, okay? Either you're born again or you're not born again. There's no halfway in between, okay? You either know Christ and you're living for Christ or you don't know him at all and you need to be on your face repenting before a holy God, begging upon the mercies of Christ that he would save you and redeem you. That's where men should be. We should be in one of those two camps. We shouldn't be satisfied with living like the world and looking like the world, yet claiming, I believe in Christ. Because belief in Christ is more than just saying, I know it, and I believe in him. It's a causal effect. I want to read a note here from the Reformation Heritage Study Bible on this. Uh, from verse 30 to verse 32, it has a note that says, Believe on him. What follows shows that this is not saving faith that these men have, but merely intellectual belief without a love for Christ. See verse 42. Continue in my word. True faith abides and perseveres in following Christ's teachings. Disciples indeed. That word where he says, if you obey my words, then you are my disciples indeed. What does that mean? It means anybody who claims to be his disciple yet isn't doing what he taught is a false disciple. That's they're not really his disciples indeed. The ones that say I believe and do. Who have the fruit. Now, I'm not, I want you to make sure you understand this. I'm not saying you're doing anything to earn salvation. That's not what I'm saying. But true salvation produces fruit. Genuine, born again people live different. That's a fact. Nowhere else in you're not taught anything else in scripture. You're never told, hey, when you're born again, you're going to be kind of a new creature. You're never told when you're born again, you know, you're, you're, you're pretty good. You just need a little Jesus on top of it and you'll be just right. We're not cakes. God's not, uh, you know, just mixing a little bit of it, uh, godly ingredients in with us. We're dead to ourselves. We died. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Amen? If that's true, then I'm new. He finishes this statement. He says, a disciple is a person who submits to a master or a teacher in order to become like him in faith and in practice. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Real spiritual knowledge is of Christ and engages the heart with faith and love so that the person's experiences come with true freedom and are truly of God. John MacArthur says this, he says, These verses are a pivotal passage in understanding genuine salvation and true discipleship. Saving faith is not fickle, but is firm and settled and I would add this that 
continuing in my word implies that true faith is an abiding faith that brings with it an obedient response. Amen? Now, this is what I'm talking about. Faith is the only thing that we're saved by. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen? Gift of God. We're kept by grace through faith. But when grace comes, Titus tells us that it teaches us how to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts and live godly, upright, uh, righteous lives in this present age. That's what it tells us. So I'm saved by grace through faith. But this grace teaches me and causes me to walk in obedience now. God takes out the heart of stone that would never submit to his law. And he puts in a heart of flesh that now he can move upon and cause me to walk in righteousness. Not my righteousness, Christ's righteousness. But to sit back and go, you know, God understands my sin. How many times do we hear this? God understands my sin. The problem with that statement, sinner, is yes, God understands your sin. And he's giving you a remedy for it. Confess your sins. Forsake your sins. Run from your sins. And run to Christ. There's no remedy in the Bible that says you can keep your sins. There's nowhere in scripture that God just says, oh, here, keep your sin and it's okay. Ever. Ever. But we have a whole generation of people that say, well, I can do this and I can do that and I can do this other thing. And it's okay. God loves me. You got to understand one thing, okay? God does love you. Let me tell you another thing. The Bible says that God hates all, not just sin, God hates the hands that shed innocent blood. God hates every evildoer. Those are in the Psalms. Those are direct quotes from God's word. God hates evildoers. Not just evil, the people that do evil. God did not just punish sin at Sodom and Gomorrah. He punished sinners. God will not just punish sin at the final judgment. He will punish sinners. God doesn't send sin to hell. God sends sinners to hell. People. Amen? we got to understand that. God isn't playing the same game we're playing where we make excuses. The problem is most people will look really bad at your sin. And make all kinds of excuses for their own sin. And I made a post on Facebook the other day that I think it applies to this. You need to hate your sin as much as you hate other people's sin. And if you're not hating your own sin, there's a serious problem in your heart. Because God hates your sin. God, God hates sin. Amen? Why should we love it? Why should we embrace it? Why should we live for it? 
Romans 6. Shall we keep on sinning that grace may abound? What does it say? God forbid. By no means, the ESV says. Amen? No. You see, why am I, why am I laboring this point of sin? Because, you see, in this conversation, these men thought that they were in bondage to Rome. Okay? First of all, they said, we're the children of Abraham, and we've never been in bondage to anybody. Let's weigh this to what we know about the New Testament, okay? Number one, Abraham's seed. Go Turn with me to Galatians 3. I want to show you a couple verses about what it means in the New Testament under Christ to be Abraham's seed. And when we talk about Abraham's seed, the Jews are meaning they were born from the line of Abraham. So genetically, they were related to Abraham and they thought they had a right to the kingdom of God. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians 3. We're going to read verse 26. He says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we're children of God. How? By faith in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now watch this. Skip down to verse 29. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So the reality is, we know this from uh, Romans, uh, well, I think it might be here, right here in Galatians also, where it says that he's made no distinction between, between Jew and Greek, slave or free. All are one in Christ. Amen? Is it right down below there? Right. There is neither Jew nor Greek, bond or fleet. There is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? The, the point is, it doesn't matter if you were born a, a, a natural son of Abraham. If you deny Christ, you're not going to heaven. If you're a, a, a Jew and you don't believe in Christ, you're not making it. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, preached the sermon and all these Jews got saved. You know what he told them when the Gentiles started coming to faith? He said, I think it's good that we see that you saw by my own mouth I preached the gospel to the Gentiles and God poured out the Holy Spirit on them. He said, seeing that he's made no distinction, no difference between us and them, knowing that we will be saved just like they are by the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen? So the point of this is they're still holding on to their genetic right to be the children of Abraham. And Jesus is trying to tell them that genetic makeup don't make any difference without faith. If you don't believe in the one whom he has sent, remember John 5, John 7, did he say that? If you don't believe in the one whom God has sent, 
you're not going to get there. This is what he's telling them, point blank. I want to make a little stop here. Jesus says, the truth you know shall set you free. Now, this verse has been misquoted, out of context, over and over and over. I want you to read it with me. Verse 32, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What truth? See, because the problem is people use this verse about anything. And it's not about anything. The truth you need to know that to be set free from is this. Okay? Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my words, then are you my disciples indeed. Then are you my disciples indeed. And then we have the word and. And. You realize the punctuation ain't there in the Hebrew, right? Or in the Greek. So this and is tying that last verse to this verse. Amen? So, if I continue in the, uh, his words, then I'm his disciple indeed, and I'll know the truth. And the truth will set me free. What truth? The truth that he's going to reveal at the end of this chapter. That he's the I am. That if I put my faith in the I am. If I put my faith in the only son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That truth. You see he's not speaking broadly about truth. There's only one truth. John 14 and 6 says I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the father but by me. There's only one way. There's only one way to the truth. There's only one truth carrier, and it's Christ. And if that's not the center of your life, if that's not the truth that's holding up your life, if that's not the truth that you're following, the truth that you're living for, you're living for the wrong thing. Whether you be Abraham's seed or not. We're Abraham's seed. Never been in bondage to no man. See, the problem is they were in bondage to Rome at the time that they said this, right? Rome was ruling over them right now. And many of scholars, if they get to this part, will say that and they'll spend hours laboring over the fact of how the Romans were subjugating the Israelites. But that's not the mortal enemy that Jesus points out. The mortal enemy that Jesus points out is not Rome, but sin. Notice his next words. Jesus answered in them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house ever, but the son abideth forever. Praise God that his son is ever living, ever existent, eternally abiding for us. Without the eternal abiding of the son, we have no hope of rescue from sin. Without the son abiding forever, none of us would go to heaven. We would all Stay lost and dead in our sins and transgressions. And none of us would ever come to faith in Christ. 
And he makes this completely clear in his next verse. If the Son, therefore, shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. How? By faith. By faith. And not just a faith that says, oh, I want to believe so I can escape hell. Not just a faith that says, oh, I want to, so I'm not judged. See, because all of those things the Pharisees were trying to avoid. But Jesus doesn't want you just to go to heaven just to escape hell. And Jesus doesn't want you just to uh, go to uh, uh, life so that you can escape condemnation. He wants you to have a new heart that loves God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your strength. He wants you to have a new heart that causes you to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, he wants you to love him and want to follow him, to desire him above all things. This is the type of belief. This is the type of faith we must have. And if that kind of faith is void in our experience of Christ, you don't know him. Amen. I bought my wife a shirt. It says, if Christ is anything, he must be everything. Amen. Either Christ is your all in all or he's nothing to you at all. The reality of this is we've got to get off the fence. We've got to get off the waffling. We've got to get out of our uh, being infants tossed to and fro by every little thing. And we've got to be rooted and grounded in who Christ is and what he came to do for me. I'm going to ask a few questions here in just a few moments. I'm almost done. I'm shortening this up, guys. I'm shortening it up. You have no hope of escaping sin without Christ. The Son's eternal, always consistently abiding forever is a sinner's only hope of salvation. Those who have truly been set free are free indeed. Now I've got a few questions for you. Does Christ only partly deliver people? Does Christ only partly save people does Christ leave one shackle or does he loose every bond you see we 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 got to be careful when we start preaching as if Christ only partly sets me free We've got to be very careful in our understanding that, yes, I'm in this sinful body, but it's not an excuse for me to not live my life for God. Amen. Yes, I'm still a, a dreadful man that is not perfect, but I can't let it be an excuse for me to miss out on doing what God told me to do. I must make decisions that says, no, I'm going to persevere. No, I'm going to go on. No, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to live my life for Christ. Amen. That's what it means to believe in Him. That's what it means to follow Him. Not this halfway, maybe sometimes Savior. Either Christ saves completely or He doesn't save at all. And if He saves, He saves indeed. 
Amen. Stop the pity pat. Stop the patty cake, Jesus. Stop making him look like he's a weak, mealy mouthed guy that's just begging for you to maybe come over to him. God is the author of salvation and he saves whom he wills. I didn't find Christ. Christ found me. I didn't call on him first. He called me out of darkness into light. One day I was an enemy of God, hated God, didn't want to live my life for God. And the next day the light was on and I was exposed. And I stood before an almighty God, heard the gospel and believed. Christ saves, saves completely. Why? Because of the answer that he gives at the end. Let's turn to the end. Verse 58. I want, I want to, hold on, let's go to verse 56. Because there's a little bit, a little bit right here in verse 56. A little bit right here in verse 56. And I'm going to get to verse 58. Verse 56. They ask him a question. That we must ask ourselves. Art thou greater than our father Abraham? Art thou greater than the prophets? Doesn't this sound like a familiar question? You remember the woman at the well? Jesus told her about herself and she said, Are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well? And you remember our answer. Why, yes. Yes, I am. Jesus could have easily said, yes. Yes, I'm greater than Jacob. He didn't. He slowly moved her to the point where she saw him as the Messiah. Amen. When, he, when her last words to him were, sir, I know that when Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. And he looked right at her and he said, I who speak to you am he. You see, these Pharisees are asking the same question. Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than the prophets? And this is the question that we must ask ourselves. Either Jesus is just a good teacher and just a good moral uh, a guy. He gives us good moral guidelines to follow. Or Jesus is God. And we must listen. We must obey. We must heed the call. We must come. And we must live our life for him. Amen. Either he's just a man or he's God almighty. And we serve him with everything in us. Amen. Because that's who Jesus says that he is. He says, are you greater than our father Abraham? Yes, he is. Then the Jews, verse 57, said unto him, Art thou not yet 50 year old? Hast thou seen Abraham? Oh, now we're getting to the end of this. And I'm going I'm to work. Verse 58 is the close, okay? Closing here in just a minute. I want you to get ready for this. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. You understand this statement. You understand that he's talking to Jews. And he said specifically, these Jews asked him this question. So for a Jew to hear Jesus say, I am, they knew 
by the very next verse where they take up stones because they were going to stone him to death. Why were they going to stone him? Because what he was saying was, I am Yahweh. The word I am, I am that I am. He is the one who was in the burning bush talking to Moses. He was one of the three men that come to Abraham and supped with Abraham and two of them left to go kill Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says, but the Lord stayed and spoke with Abraham. And the Lord said, shall I hide what I'm going to do from Abraham? Jesus, when he said, I am, he's saying, I am the I am. I am Yahweh. I am the everlasting God. I am Elohim. I am that I am. When you read Exodus and you Notice that the angel of the Lord spoke to Moses from the midst of the burning bush. But as Moses spoke to this angel, he calls him Lord. Lord. Why? Because Jesus, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made by him. And nothing was made without him. Everything that is made was made by him. Jesus looked at them right in the face and said, I am. And what that meant to them was, I am God. And that's where you have to go with Christ Either Christ is truly God and truly deserving of all my worship, all my life, all my love, all my effort, or he doesn't deserve anything. And if you say you believe in Christ, this is the price that he demands for you to pay. If anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If a man loves his mother, father, sister, brother, wife, yea, even his own life more than me, he's not worthy of me. That's Jesus' words, not mine. See, he's answering these people who say they believe in him. But James makes it very clear. A faith that only says I believe, but doesn't go and show that I believe, is not a real faith. Amen? That's why we're told, let us not love in word only, but let us love in word and deed. Amen? Love for God. And love for people, like that sign says, is not a love that simply says, hey, I love you, and I hope somebody else helps you. <laughs> Amen? Amen. Amen? I love you, God, uh, but there's a whole bunch of other people in this room that can help you. I'm not the guy, or I'm not the girl. Right? right. That's not the kind of love that he wants. He wants all of our heart. Amen. Not just part of it. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. 
I want to bless the food. I want to go have a good time. But I want to leave you with this sober reminder. Jesus, this is Jesus' own words. And I didn't even get into all of the meat of this where he's calling them the children of the devil. Saying that they're doing what their father did. Those are deep, powerful statements. And it shows Jesus' seriousness for this life that we're to live for him. And I want all of us to be able to say like Paul did. That when Christ died, I died. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And that faith is a faith that I live unto him. I live my life for him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word. Thank you for this moment that we have to come together, God, and hear a somber uh, message, God, that strikes at the very heart of every one of our lives, God. Lord, I pray that those who heard this message today here in this room or those who watched it on Facebook, God, that they don't think that I'm preaching at them, but I'm preaching to all of us, myself included. The Bible says, let each of us examine ourselves to see if we be in the faith. Lord, let us in these last days truly seek to honor you with our whole life and not just part of it, God. Give us the strength, give us the grace, give us the mercy that we need. Anoint us with your spirit. Lead us and guide us by your spirit. Let your word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path that we might be salt and light in this world and truly bring glory and honor to Christ in his church and in this earth. Lord, we ask that you would bless the food that we're about to receive, the fellowship we're going to have, and let it all be for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.